It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, That'll get your blood up and running. Yeah, certainly will. It's 8.54 a.m. Saturday, August the 22nd, 2020. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. Ba. What's the ba? No adding on extra parts. I can add on extra parts. How are we going to synchronize a ba? It's randomly placed somewhere after the end of the... Come on. Let me rewriting the theme music of the show. <laughs> Sorry. So here we are uh, in the uh, treehouse, uh, sitting in the living room, and... Uh, Stuff's happening all around us. I mean, <laughs> molecules are freaking. They're just, you know, some of them are real packed in real tight. Some of them are just kind of free floating. I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. Just kind of out there, out there in the dustbins. Ah, ham and eggs. Time and space. The space between the dimensions. I'm glad that these molecules came together yes. in, in the well, form I mean, of Bill Davy. But they do seem to be degrading slightly. <laughs> their little orbits, their little. Their little uh, gravitational uh, attractions seem to be seem to be losing some. Semi, uh, that's that's the way the dance of the universe goes. Whatever. I do dance not, into I do not, being and dance out right out again. I do not appreciate the loss of elasticity. Yes. Nor do I have a. Uh, do I appreciate the sense that the molecules are moving away from each other and kind of sagging away from. <laughs> Each other, <laughs> odd and gravitationally in, uh, influenced ways. Wow, it's been a hectic week here in my head. <laughs> uh, over to you, Diane. Uh, over to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to edit out all these long pauses that we seem to be having this morning so far. That's okay. It's part of what I love about the show. Well, I've had a very lovely week. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's been rather busy at work. We're interviewing for a new um, person for our team. Oh, right. And that has uh, occupied quite a bit of the week. And, and uh, kind of we're in a, not a lull. There's never a lull in the work, but a little bit of a respite from the franticness before... The calm before the storm. Yeah. But. The calm between storms. Yeah. But it's been a quite lovely week in music. And uh, because you had your Tuesday night concert, which I always love. And uh, and Kat had a, uh, a concert through the Vashon Live, yeah. which was really a special concert, I thought. First of all, it was longer than the last one she did with Bash on Live. Right. But it was in a, sort of a forested area in, on Bash on. Campfire and, series, which they which started uh, much more much less elaborately, but has uh, grown into what it has become. But, but yeah. I really liked the environment, and uh, the thing that was really moving to me is that Cat played 
a few songs from the past, yeah. long ago past, which really, it, that was a wonderful thing for me to hear. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that's happening with these live stream shows is it's causing some of us to kind of dig back into our older songs and our older catalog stuff that we just, we don't play because we, you know, they, they almost don't fit in our head anymore. It's not like they still don't live in us, you know, it's, but it's really weird. I've been watching Jim do the same thing because Jim's been doing lots of live streaming and uh, people need to understand this is, for some of us, this is the only way we are getting through the week. I know that's true for Jim. Jim needs to be playing, you know, he's, that's his, that's his job every day, you know. I, I really like some of what this, uh, these circumstances are bringing out of us because I think it's giving us because we're forced to basically stand still for a while, everybody seems to be turning inward a little bit, and which I think is a great thing. And for me, it has been great. It's like I've discovered a library I didn't know I owned, you know, kind of thing. Well, speaking of which, I've been I reread Bluebeard by Kurt Vonnegut, mm -hmm. and it was just like almost like a new book to me. I I remembered this one portion that had always been important to me that was basically talking about how uh, difficult it is now for people from communities to be recognized for their art because you have, through just having electronic means of hearing the world's greatest uh, or greatest musicians or seeing the world's greatest artists, you're always tending to watch those rather than listening to your local folks, which is not our habit. But <laughs> um, I always really loved that passage in Bluebeard, but that story was just remarkable and so well told. And I was thinking when I was reading Vonnegut this time, I was thinking how he has rather, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of painting a dark view in a humorous way. So it feels light, even though it, the topics are not light. And I really enjoyed rereading Bluebeard. Now I'm reading Man Without a Country, which I am finding to be quite So it's like a little wonderful. sequence of mini memoirs kind of yeah. book that I, I remember when it first came out. I really thought it was amazing. And this was after, after Vonnegut had said he wasn't going to write anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't write anymore. Well, when I was reading the most recent chapter, uh, he was said that he was 82 as he was writing this. So I was thinking, wow, 82. It's a slim volume. Right. But and, you know, 82 is about three weeks from now. Yeah, you exactly. Not, it's, yeah, it's the way it works. Yeah, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, we've got a lot of, opportunity for resonance in our lives that we that isn't usually there because we're so busy and I think people are discovering that that life is better when you're not so busy I mean it's more rich maybe I and, certainly have been feeling that way I I feel like I'm reading more I'm certainly walking more than I had done and and enjoying my the nature of my walks it's interesting to me that when we, whenever we go out to La Push, one of my favorite things was just to look out of the window at the ocean and see the wildlife, uh, the birds, the, the various um, 
little animals that would be running around at La Push. And now I'm doing that every day on my walks. I really enjoy watching, particularly walking by the lake, seeing how different the lake is every day. You know, sometimes with uh, ripples in the, the water. Sometimes the water is so calm, it looks like a mirror. Sometimes the mist is rising off the waters. It's just uh, magical to to see every day yeah. in a different way. I think water is just kind of inherently like that. You know? In whatever form it is in, whether it's standing still or moving or, you know. Well, it, it just makes me feel like all this time well, I, before my accident, I uh, used to go on long walks on the interurban trail because I used to walk down. Uh, there's a little shopping area that's not that far away from us. Uh, it's within, what do you say, about a mile, mile and a half. Um, so I used to walk over there. Mm -hmm. But then after my accident, I had a period of time that I couldn't walk at all. Then, you know, until this year, I have been struggling with some form of disability from that accident but this year it resolved and now i'm able to go on long walks absolutely love the walks meet people on the walks and it's so interesting to me that as i'm meeting these people no one is ever aggressive or you know everybody just kind of waves people will get out of your way you know they'll try to uh have the social distancing and there's no no aggression and you would think from watching the news that everybody was aggressive towards each other all the time but that is not the case in our situation so and we also had a most wonderful zoom meeting with our westminster basementeers last week mm -hmm. that was another thing that i really have enjoyed is talking to these thoughtful, considerate people about topics that it, that remind me of the kind of conversations we had in college. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's partly it's the phenomenon of it because these are new ways of being in contact with people. Well, yeah. All of those that you described, whether it's giving physical distance when you're out walking or, or uh, doing a Zoom meeting and and all of its different forms for different purposes and things like that. But it's, you know, first of all, there's the opportunity to be in regular contact with people that I would have not been in regular contact with yeah. for some time. And not for lack of wanting to, but because life is too damn busy. And when you combine your busyness with another person's busyness, there's not a lot of, you know, overlap of slack time to, you know, be in contact. It's, it's something that I'm really uh, finding pleasure in, even when it's, even though it starts out as kind of an uncomfortable, unfamiliar piece of real estate uh, in consciousness, um, you get, you kind of get used to it. And then you start realizing that there's benefits to be, to be had here. There's, there's really something uh, amazing about this particular new kind of contact definitely makes me realize that if the future could be a certain way we might have all of it you know we'd have the physical our physical our tactile uh, needs being met and also this and just the opportunity to have 
those kind of big, deep conversations with people whose whose opinions and, and viewpoints you value. Uh, it's just great. It's just great. Well, I, feel like, I feel like in many ways I am back in school um, just because I feel like my being is taking on so much new information and, 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 and also being taught new ways of taking on information. Uh, it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm being re-educated in some kind of way. I or just maybe just, I mean, you want to think that it's just be, you're being reminded of things that you've forgotten. I think that that's true. But, and uh, but especially it's also because of the way it's... I'm sorry, I'll be done in just a second. Oh, yeah, but it's okay. also because the way that, it, that it's coming to you, uh, it doesn't feel like something that you used to do but now, and now you can do again. This is a new thing. So it's got elements of all that in it. Now I'm done. <laughs> I'm sorry that I interrupted no, your I, train. I didn't even know that you were interrupting it. Just as I was coming to the end of one thing, something else was occurring <laughs> to me and I, I was just kept rolling. Well, all I was going to say is that I think that I, I agree with you about being back in school because of the reading. I feel like right now I have like three different books going um, and I've never been able to do that at all during the regular See, the span only, of time. And, and you're still working the same number of hours. I know. Which is the amazing thing. It strictly has to do with being at home instead of having... Uh, being at work and getting to and from work. Yes. You know, uh, and for a lot of us at different periods of our life, the getting to and from work was a, a whole part of our day. When I used to work in Chelan and lived in Twisp, you know, it was an hour and about an hour and ten minutes each way in the car. Well, my commute was about an hour each way, um, not because of distance as you had in, from Chelan to Twisp, no, but because of traffic. But because of traffic. What is it, eight so. miles from here to where you were? Yeah, around there. <laughs> yeah. But between the traffic and the bus stops, because they'd stop at every... Yeah, well, that's one thing I never had to worry about, driving from I mean, Twist to Cheyenne. I think the, the bus ride in the morning was about 45 minutes, but when you put in the walk that I had from the bus stop to the job and getting... Uh, it was it's about an hour all told. And it could but, easily be 45 minutes when I was driving you home, too. Yeah. Oh, I think a lot of times uh, when I'd take the bus, uh, it, when you were going to an open mic or whatever, it would take an hour and 10 minutes Well, sometimes. I would leave here about 10 after 4, and we'd usually get back a little before 6. Yeah. But the uh, what I have really loved is that even though I do have the same amount of work and even though it's really frantic sometimes, there's a, a feeling of when I turn off the computer for the work that I feel like I've got this amount of time that I can choose to do what I want. I do not know what has caused that flip of the switch, but I, I have read so much more since I've been... Um, in this sequestering, as I think of it. Uh, and really, I think that the reading is also sparking the discussions because our discussions, discussion with our friends from uh, what we call the Westminster Basement was sparked by some reading I've been doing with Elaine Pagels that we spoke about last week. But uh, it's really caused me to have more 
thoughts along a philosophical line than I would even probably allow into my consciousness before because for lack of time and space yeah yeah not because you don't desire to or feel nourished by that information coming in it's just that we don't have the time or the mental bandwidth uh, the way that our society operates these days to do those kinds of daily pleasures uh, and it's interesting to discover how much richer life can be when you're not constantly when your entire life is not organized around getting to and from work and working and you know blah blah, blah and then recovering from it because what you're recovering from in no small uh, thing in an evening is the commute the slog yeah you know the slog really isn't so much when you're at work it's the process of having a job the clothing the uh, morning ablutions, the you know preparing, the making a lunch, the <laughs> affording a lunch, the, the you know getting ready to go, being somewhere on time to catch the bus, and the, you know the, the stress around that, and then the, the bus ride, and who's getting on, who's getting off, is the bus going to break down? Is it you know is there snow on the ground? <laughs> yeah, you know, and, that's true. You know, so the, by the time you get to work, it's like your vitality is half gone. So you do your job, then you commute home, and by the time you get home, sure, all you about all you can do is kind of become comatose in front of the television or something (laughs) because that's about all you got left and you know if you do that five out of seven days every week that's a pretty darn good summary there well it just it just (laughs) i'm just aware that uh jobs don't need to be like that anymore and that's i think that's a good positive chunk of evolution that's coming out of this very dark time when we were uh, conducting our interviews for the for the person for our open position, a couple of the people asked us about how how we felt about the teleworking circumstance. Right. And I found that when I was talking about it, I said, you know, I've never felt separate from my team. And I was thinking that is really true. I miss being in physical presence with them uh, for some reasons. And it's also freeing for some reason not being physically there because a lot of times you're having to concentrate through other people's conversations, um, which provided a nice, you know, backdrop. But a lot of times I'd have to put in headphones just to concentrate on what I was working on if another member was trying to explain something to somebody else in our group. Mm -hmm. So I don't really miss that, but I miss the ability to to wheel over and help somebody with a problem they had right away. I miss our physical meetings because we always laughed a lot and all that. And it seems like our Zoom meetings are a little bit more to the point and trying to get all the information in that we need to, a little less uh, just the the fun of being together. Yeah, that's the thing. What does the word together mean? You know, in this, because you know, for me, it's great to be able to get together with some people that I have not gotten been able to get together with for years. Yeah. But what is what do we mean by together? I mean, you know, yeah. the, the fact that we're sharing a screen uh, seems a different kind of together because there's something electromagnetic between people when they're in the same space. There's right. some, something vibratory. There's all that sound resonating in the same room. There's all you know, the, all these qualities of, uh, you know. Without, without touching each other, you have a physical, you're in physical contact with that's each other. That's very and, true. And that's an interesting thing to be without 
when you're so used to having it. But that that all that presence, that's another kind of bombardment, you know, making contact with your body all over the place. And so, I don't know, it's something that I, I miss. But I'm also, it's interesting to learn about what that energy is by virtue of its absence. You know, you kind of are getting a sense for, yeah, I really miss it. There's a, there's a vibration in the, in the air when you're in the room with other people. And, you know, I've noticed it when on Tuesday nights when I'm performing because it's, it, the expense of energy on my part, I used to think that, you know, wow, you know, I used to be able to do four sets a night, you know, and then, then it was like three was felt, that's plenty. And then two is like, okay, I'm done by the end. Of, and now I'm doing one set basically. And it's like, I'm as tired after that hour <laughs> as I would be after having done two sets, a couple of encores, and then gone back to somebody's else's house and played for another hour. You know, it, it just, well, is, you're, you're having to bring up all the energy rather than having the, right. the energy you're, of the room. You know, kind I, of was thinking, I was thinking, I was laying in bed last night. I was thinking, what's going to happen when I, I'm going to be, it's going to take me a while to get used to playing in front of people again, if I ever get, <laughs> because you know, I, I'm used to just finishing the song. There you go. Okay. So, wait, you know, and I'll be like, Oh yeah, I have to wait. Cause they're, for some reason they're applauding. Pardon me. I'm going to have another drink of coffee. You know? What is, what's this? You boy. Well, <laughs> that's good coffee. But then you realize the, the amount of energy you take on, the amount of adrenal uh, activation you get from being in the room with people. And they don't have to be clapping. Uh, uh, but it helps if they're listening. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting to register all these different kinds of, not just uh, emotional and psychological differences, but actual physical sensations differences anyway but you got to have time to think about all that stuff that's the thing you got to have time to internalize what you're reading to the point that you can discuss it with somebody else and really have things to say and uh, because you've already been thinking about it because you've had time to you know it's like there's this whole it's a cascade of circumstance that uh, you know it's like it's like finding buried treasure in the middle of our own day-to-day lives in some because we have time for it and because our circumstance allows for it because li- our lives are not a struggle to uh, pay the rent and get the groceries well one of the things that i really love after our westminster basement talks is that one of the the people who is in this conversation summarizes it in a little essay that he does about three beautiful things yes our friend bill writes a daily little blog post called three beautiful things and he got the idea from someone else and he credits that person but i can't remember i don't have that person's name in my head but it's just a kind of a daily kind of counter blessings kind of mode that he does in writing and it's just delightful and not only just because he's mentioned me a few times recently but because this guy, you get to experience uh, the minutiae of a life and the pleasure that can be had in the minutiae of a life. And I think that is definitely something that's worth doing, and I applaud him. Well, I would love to read what his summary was of the conversation that we had. Oh. So you'll have to. You'll have to. I'll have to edit this out, is yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. You don't, you don't think I can fill this space with some kind of witty uh, commentary that'll... You know, that everybody will be entertained by, so they won't even notice that. So uh, Bill 
actually entitled this, uh, the section that talked about our Zoom talk, superb Zoom talk as part of his three beautiful things. And I really loved what he wrote. He said, um, we all were students in our youth at Christian colleges or universities. Diane went to PLU, the rest of us went to Whitworth. We have a lot on our minds about how we were raised as Christians and about our experiences at Whitworth and PLU. Today, because she's reading works by Elaine Pagels, Diane wondered how each of us, having graduated from college decades ago, are, in our adulthood, thinking about some of the central tenets we were taught growing up. The fall from grace in the Garden of Eden, the existence of Satan, the concept of original sin, and our experiences over the years coming to grips with the person and teachings of Jesus. We all had a lot to say. Diane added an historical and political dimension to our discussion because Elaine Pagels is a religious historian. Diane also talked about her own experience at the ch with the church, and so did Bill, Val, and I, with emphasis on what we've come to see as having lasting value and what we haven't. It was a superb conversation, full of intelligence, deep feeling, close listening, and above all, for me, enjoyment. Nice. So. This is a guy that was one of my professors when I was in college, but he was only about four years older than me. And uh, my first ever class at Whitworth College was writing one with Bill Wong. And I still have the notes and writings that I did in that class. And uh, he left Whitworth uh, after a couple of years and then came back again in around 83, 84, and, or 82, 83. Yeah, because I graduated in 83. Or 81 to 83. I'll get it right. I'll get it right. Really, I will. <laughs> and um, I got to take more classes from him, and he was just one of my all-time favorite teachers. And we used to go over to Bill's house and watch movies. and uh, It was just, he was a friend. And he was like that to a lot of his students. So because he was so close to us in age, that we were all kind of s still in, a, in the same kind of period of life, which had a lot of energy in it and a lot of talk and a lot of, you know, talking about books and movies and stuff. And it was just great. It was, I just, it was after I, I took a year off from college. When I went back after that year, I was a lot more ready for what college had to offer me. So that was good. I just love the fact that you can tell by the, the topics that he listed that this was a really deep and powerful conversation. And I was thinking how I had my experience of living through that time of being at PLU. And that was when I actually came to grapple with a lot of these very mm -hmm. yeah. topics. Oh, yeah. But... Even though I grappled with him, I had a lot of of <laughs> of thought to go. <laughs> well, I don't think we realize when we're at that age how open ended the entire thing is. Yeah. That there really is no figuring it out. You know, you are you 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 meet a lot of people when you're young and when you're an adolescent, especially, who have all the answers, who have crossed the goal line. Uh, when you're when we're talking about like personal salvation, say. Uh, you know, I was around people at Whitworth all the time who were already there, you know, who had made it. 
And then they were, and, and I don't know what they were doing then. <laughs> but sometime in my senior year in college, I had a conversation with a, one of my professors that really set me free, you know, from feeling like I was supposed to squeeze into one of these little boxes I saw all these other people living inside of, you know, and that that was what life was about. We're supposed to fit ourselves into this little space and then exist from there and judge other people in terms of why they're not in here with us. You know, it's like a clown car. And that's, so that's what, it, what religion felt like a clown car. And I, so I went to talk to this professor and he, he just said, you don't get the answers. You don't get the answers. Faith, ongoing faith, is about being okay that you're living in question, that you're, that you're always seeking. That's the journey. That's what faith is, is that you are in a state of seeking with no assurance of ever finding. It takes faith to do that day after day after year after you know decade. So, well, and that's even faith in life so that you... one conversation settled all my the questions I had had my entire life in terms of religion up to that point and you know it's just I mean you can have moments like that in your life holy crap because I would I you know as an adolescent if you are if you are a church going adolescent then you are in a state of perpetual torture yeah because you are the worst of everything that you are being taught <laughs> you know it's like how do I get to where I can dig myself up through the layers of dirt so that I can get to the floor. And then that's to do zero. And then we'll start working my way up from there. You feel like the lowest scum of the earth. Well, that's part of the, the readings that I'm doing with Elaine Pagels, yeah. uh, the existence of Satan. That The whole existence of Satan thing seems to be an adolescent, I mean, excuse me, but it, it feels like something that's meant to just frighten you like you were frightened as an adolescent. Of everything, you know. So it doesn't feel like a, a mature concept. Right. Know? Well, that's. Uh, she basically is saying that Aristotle was the the person who brought this whole fall of, from grace into a belief system before he before he wrote. No, no. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Ah, Augustine. Augustine. A's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Augustine. He wrote about this in a certain kind of a way that people started believing. And back in those times, a lot of people couldn't read or there wasn't other ways of getting information. So Until the printing press, really. People were not literate because there was no books. So it's so fascinating to read uh, this whole history of not only of the Gnostic Gospels, which is what Elaine Pagels first wrote about, but also just the whole history of the belief system that we have. And she was positing that even if you don't say that you're a Christian, you still have a lot of the ideas because that it's our, were... It's, it's, it's been, baked into our societal... Into our culture, yeah. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the ideas are still there, the way that we think of women... You know, the misogyny comes from that. The, you know, all these things come from this uh, historical dilemma that people had uh, grappled with long ago. It's big conversations we're having. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to have them. And to, it's, a, it's a luxury to have them. Uh, so 
you know, I feel like I'm being rewarded for work I've never done, but what the heck, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. And this week's music, we're just doing, um, we were introduced to, or I was introduced to, I don't know how, how to say it exactly, Vasen, it's <laughs> probably someone. You probably know better than me. <laughs> they are a Scandinavian group. Right. right. Yeah. I think they're from Sweden, my yeah. ancestral home. Well, there you go. But I was introduced to it because Bill asked me if I'd ever heard of them. He put up a... Well, I had, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember where I saw it. Holly Tuttle. Oh, Holly Tuttle. Thank you, Holly. Yeah. That's right. It was Holly. She posted a video of theirs on her Facebook page. I clicked on it, and it was just like, whoa, whoa, what is this stuff? It was like a whole new little set of colors, musically anyway. And the instruments are very interesting. You should watch a video of them because there's a guy with this... Nickel harpa. Nickel harpa, which is a, like a fiddle with keys. You know, it's like a combination. It's like almost like an auto harp that you play with a bow or something like that, you know. And it's very interesting. And it's, you can do very, you know, quick because you're fingering it. You're holding it like a violin. So you've got your, your four fingers are able to move amongst these keys pretty quickly, just like somebody would on the neck of a violin. So... It's really interesting to watch. Well, and, and they've been around forever, and yeah. we've never heard of them. I can't believe that you, Diane, had never heard of them since you are of that, you know. Well, it's just whether somebody has yeah, thrown it in your path. Whether somebody is, yeah, whether you've come across it or not. I was listening because the uh, video that Holly had posted and then Bill pointed out to me was they've done uh, a tiny desk concert. Tiny and, desk yeah. concert. And that, the very first song was so striking. And apparently they've been playing that one a lot. So I thought, I want to go into one of their older albums and see what they had. So this, the couple of uh, songs that we chose are from one called Mindset. Mindset. So, but uh, I just really love the, the musical feel of this. When I was a kid, we used to have a polka record hmm. because they play a lot of polkas. Yeah. Now, the Scandinavians are quite into the polka. Yeah. And I was thinking that I still remember the looks of this record. It was a vinyl record, you know, so it was a big... Um, Round black thing? No, I mean, the, not the record, oh, but the, the, the record cover. The cover. It, ha it was yellow... <laughs> With the uh, a cartoon, very minimalistic illustration of a man with a handlebar mustache on one side, like one half of his face, Jeez. and on the other side, a, a picture of a woman. It was very ugly. With the big, with the big skirt. <laughs> yeah. No, the, they the just bonnet. had just their heads. Oh, just their heads. <laughs> was she wearing a bonnet? No. <laughs> but uh, I remember that I just love that. Okay, album. Sounds like racial profiling. <laughs> well, I just, I really love the, the polkas. And I used to, polka is the only dance I ever learned how to do. Because I was in a play. I was in, all or, uh, yeah, Oliver, when I was in middle school. And there was a scene where we were all at this party. I had a minor part. But there was a scene where we were at this party and we had to dance. So we all learned to polka. It's a fun it's dance. It's a fun dance because it's like it's got it's got some 
centrifuge yeah. kind of feel to it. Yeah, you know, some, you're really you get some G forces going. Yeah. Exactly. I love the And there's focus. a lot of verticality to it. It's great for young people because it's just bouncy. You get to get just kind of, wee, you're spinning in circles. And... and that's the interesting thing about a lot of the music that I love uh, from both the Celtic tradition and this kind of music. They're dance oh, music. It's, it's dance bouncy music. music. It's bouncy yeah. music. So... Uh, there's one uh, piece that we chose that's a waltz and another that is more the polka uh, feel to it, I think. And the band, once again, is called? Boston. <laughs> Perfect. That'll do. <laughs>